today we are going to be talking all things Exorcist. We are talking about the movie, the sequel, Emily Rose, Linda Blair, some true facts, things that happened on the set, and also a lot of just cool things that we want to share with you. As we're getting into our story, we of course have to shout out our wine. We are drinking Barefoot's Fruitscados, the strawberry wine today. So those of you who don't know who Linda Blair is, she did play Reagan on The Exorcist. So that being said, on January 22nd in 1959 in St. Louis, Missouri, she started off working as a child model at the age of five, appearing in a Sears, J.C. Penney's, and Macy catalogs, and owned over 70 commercials for Welch's Great Jams and other companies as well. Blair secured her contract at six for a series of print ads in the New York Times. She also began riding horses, later becoming a trained equestrian. She was pretty busy. Yeah, I know. Famously known for her exorcist role of Reagan McNeil, she had won a Golden Globe Award and nomination for Academy Award. She went in also to star in numerous television films such as Born Innocent, Sarah T., A Portrait of a Teenage Alcoholic, Stranger in Our House, and then she established herself as a sex symbol in the romantic musical Roller Boogie in 1979. By the 80s, she had been starring in quite a few different horror movies, such as Hell Night, Prison Drama, Chained Heat, the grindhouse cult thriller Savage Streets, and then throughout the 90s, she appeared in independent films and B-movies, as well as several television credits. She was the host of the Fox Family reality series, Scariest Place on Earth, between 2001 and 2003. And then she had a regular appearances on Animal Planet, Pit Boss, from 2010 to 2012. But aside from her acting, uh, Blair had publicly supported charitable causes, um, such as animal rights. And then in 2004, she founded the Linda Blair World Heat Foundation, a nonprofit organization which serves to rehabilitate and adopt rescue animals. She's a vegan. And then she also co-authored the book, Going Vegan, which became big in 2001. Um, she had also dated Rick Springfield. <gasps> I bet you she was Jesse's girl. Oh my gosh. I've always wondered. Didn't we all? We might have just cracked the code. <laughs> we figured it out. He wanted Jesse's girl. It was Linda Blair. And then she also dated Rick James. Rick James, Rick. <laughs> Shout Sorry. out Dave Chappelle. Uh, she dated him for two years, and then she got pregnant by him, and she had an abortion without him knowing. So that was probably not a very good time for her. Some, some tea spilling for you. <laughs> On December 20th, 1977, at 18 years old, she encountered trouble with the federal law enforcement. She was arrested for drug possession and conspiracy to sell drugs. She pled guilty to reduce the charge um, down to conspiracy of possessing cocaine in exchange for three years of probation. She was also required to make at least 12 major public appearances to tell young people about the dangers of drug abuse. Hmm. So she had quite the life going on at such a young age. Honestly, I mean, even by the time she was six, she was much more accomplished and successful than I am at now, the age of 25. Yeah, same for me, not yeah. you. <laughs> no, it's okay, it's me. But yeah, you know, and that's the thing too, with young actors and actresses, you hear about it so much, they get so big so fast, and then they kind of crash Oh, yeah. such a young age. I mean, with all the pressure in the world of being famous, paparazzi, everybody looking and scrutinizing every move that you do, I mean, I can only imagine, like, just the stress that brings upon someone. 
Yeah, I mean, hopefully some of the lucky ones bounce back. Like Drew Barrymore, that's one of my favorite stories. Oh, love her. You know, she partied hard so yeah. young, but now she's just amazing. She made she's a killing come back. Yeah, cleaned herself up, and I don't. Know, it's one of my favorite stories. Yeah, her comeback stories for sure. But uh, but yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so Linda Blair, of course, most famously known for her Exorcist roles. Um, and just kind of going over the Exorcist movie, um, the original is of course the one that you want to watch if you're going to watch any Exorcist movie. There's a million out there, um, but this one was the biggest and it made quite an impact on the world. So kind of just going over the movie, um, this takes place in Washington DC in the 1940s. However, it was released in December of 1973. So The Exorcist tells the story of Reagan McNeil. She's a 12-year-old girl who begins to have strange and unexplainable episodes. After medical intervention fails, Reagan's mom seeks the help of um, a pastor, Father Karras, who confirms that an evil spirit is possessing Reagan. So to save Reagan from the demon um, and the possession, the Catholic Church grants Father Karras to perform an exorcism to get rid of that dark entity that I guess is just taking over Reagan's body. So yeah, we're kind of going to get into this a little bit later too, but the film definitely created quite a stir in the U.S. when it was released. Uh, It had provoked like fainting, vomiting, heart attacks in the movie theaters. Um, so it was pretty wild back in the day when it came out. People weren't really sure how to handle it. Um, but yeah, in spite of its more intense moments, the BBFC considered that The Exorcist was, was suitable for an X certificate to be issued without any cuts. So kind of just like, go and see it at your own risk and good luck. I mean, if you hand me, here's your ticket, here's your birth bag. Yep. I mean, what's not intriguing about that? Do with it what you will. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so the film opens at an archaeological dig in the ancient ruins of Hatra. Excuse me if I'm not pronouncing that correctly. Um, But it's in the Iraq desert. So here, a Catholic priest and veteran exorcist, Father Lancaster Marin, um, he is there... And he's given a stone talisman carved in the image of Pazuzu, which is an old demonic entity that used to be worshipped um, by the Babylonians, the original inhabitants of Iraq. So this part, I didn't remember this part when we rewatched it um, the other day, and it honestly was very confusing to me. Um, But I think it just kind of sets up the story and gives, like, the backstory of how this um, demon Pazuzu, the one who eventually possesses Reagan, kind of comes about and, like, just kind of giving it a backstory. So, yeah, when um, Father Marin is there, he he just looks really concerned once he gets this um, talisman. He's just... uh, He's familiar with, like, the history surrounding the worship of the demon. So that kind of section of the movie wraps up with him just looking real freaked out. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, after that initial scene, the film cuts to Georgetown, where actress Chris McNeil um, is on site shooting a movie about student protests. And Chris lives in a house on location with her daughter, Reagan. Um, Reagan McNeil, she's just a typical, you know, 12-year-old sweet little girl. Um, she's kind of like a lot of children who travel with their parents for work, just kind of looking for ways to keep themselves amused, um, during the day. And we see her do a lot of artwork in the beginning. Um, but unfortunately she then finds a Ouija board and just begins playing with it by herself. Um... You know, her mom doesn't really think much of it. Reagan says that she's talking to a spirit named Captain Howdy, so it doesn't sound that scary if I was her mother, you know? It's always the ones that never believe. Mm-hmm. That, exactly. 
believe, always believe. Yeah, exactly. That's your warning. But yeah, I mean, just like most people, her mom just kind of is like, oh, she's having fun, nothing's happening. But yeah, not too long after her initial contact with the captain, um, Reagan begins to act differently. She's acting weird. She's stealing. She's cussing. Um, These are like acts that are followed by supernatural occurrences, such as mysterious noises and like Reagan showing unusual strength, you know, bending backwards, like in weird positions. Um, just not acting like herself. Um, and these odd occurrences kind of come to a head when Reagan's mother is hosting a party at their house with her friends and Reagan's upstairs in her room. But then we see Reagan, you know, come down to everyone. She's barefoot, she's in her nightgown, and she just walks up to one of, um, Chris's guests. And she gives, like, him a weird cryptic dark like it's it's like a warning almost it's like a threat she goes you're gonna die up there and everyone's just kind of staring at her like what (laughs) and yeah uh she after making that announcement she you know starts to urinate on the floor just starts peeing um and i think at that part her mom was just kind of like maybe she Like, mortified and embarrassed, but also probably, as far as thinking for her daughter, like, maybe she's just not, like, maybe she's sleepwalking, maybe she's sick, like, her mind does not go to supernatural things at all. Oh, not at all. Yeah. Even when she was, got some of the hope, the scene, which it kind of cracks me up, the doctor's trying to... Oh, yeah. ...tell her something's off. And uh, she's like, well, her daughter's been using some language that we were probably shocked that a 12-year-old would say. And all she could do was kind of laugh and be like, you gotta be, no, not not my kid. She's like, I'm sorry. She's like, I just, to think of her talking like that. Yeah, just kind of like brushing it off and like making light of it for sure. (laughs) But yeah, they, the supernatural things that are happening to Reagan, they continue to get worse, and, you know, they're starting to scare her mom, Chris, who is desperately seeking out professional help. You know, of course, at first she goes to um, medical professionals, um, because, I mean, I think everyone would probably do that first, mostly, but yeah, you know, all of them give the same diagnosis, that... Reagan, despite what things she's showing and signs she's showing, she's physically healthy. You know, they sedate Reagan instead because they think that maybe rest will improve her condition. Um, but that that does not happen because one night um, Reagan is sedated, but her mom is out on a work shoot. And she got her friend, um, he's the director of the film she's working on, um, his name was Burke Dennings. She got him to agree to watch over Reagan that night. Um, and she, Chris gets home and she's horrified when she arrives because she finds out that Burke is dead. He, he died. <laughs> <laughs> he fell out the window, apparently, of Reagan's room. And... The event is, like, assumed to be an accident. Um, I think her mom is kind of suspicious because she know knows Reagan has been acting very differently and strangely. Um, I mean, they rule it as, a, as an accident. Um, Lieutenant William is the man who is investigating his, den- his death. Um, but... He- you know, Burke was known to be a heavy drinker, so they kind of were just like, well... He just fell out the window. Maybe he drank too much and he just fell out the window. Because <laughs> they, were, they were saying, there's no way this 12-year-old little girl could have pushed him out the window. But she had been showing signs of very uh, different strength than she had previously. A lot of aggression. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So her mom kind of is like raising an eyebrow like, okay, there's... So much more uh, that is going on. So her mom then goes to the church um, 
to try to get any kind of different help because none of the medical professionals are doing anything to help them in this situation. Nothing they're saying or doing is working to help her daughter. So, you know, like a desperate mom, she's trying everything that she can to get her daughter back. Um, But yeah, so we then kind of go into um, Father Damien Karras's story. He, um, he's a psychiatrist and a Catholic priest. Um, we kind of see a scene just for some backstory for him. His mo- his mother was dying and he wasn't really there for her. She seemed to be in like some type of home. I don't know if it was like a nursing home situation or what it was, but he was there when she was dying um, and he feels extremely guilty about that. That's kind of just something to keep in mind as we keep moving through the story. But um, Chris approaches him for the help, um, and the doctors recommend to Chris that an exorcism should be performed on Reagan because, you know, they believe that her condition is mental in nature, and Father Karras, you know, he kind of agrees to just take up the case and just start observing Reagan to see if it is anything that's, like, supernatural or if he's like, no, there's just something going on mentally with her. But yeah, Reagan begins to show even more extreme manifestations. She's speaking in reverse in like an old woman's voice. Scars form on her abdomen, forming the words, help me. Uh, Yeah, that part. (laughs) And, you know, I think when a person sees that, uh, you're kind of convinced, okay, (laughs) this is probably not just a mental issue. This is like a spiritual thing going on. So Father Karras is finally convinced that Reagan is indeed possessed by an evil spirit. So he kind of seeks out the help of Father Marin, who was the priest in the opening scene in Iraq that we saw. Um, and they kind of take this on together to try and exercise the demon out of her. So yeah, the, the two priests go in there to try to perform this exorcist, but the demon Pazuzu is like messing with them, mocking them. She's performing like a number of different offensive and crazy acts that is like, and like threatening them with death. Um, she's, you know, using um, Father Karis's mother's voice to try to like toy with him and make him feel like. Um, like she was saying, you you weren't there for me when I was dying. Just making him feel guilty and kind of messing with his mind. Um, but yeah, they, they tie her down to prevent the demon from, you know, hurting Reagan or them. Um, because I think th- that was probably the scene where they walked in and she had the cross and she was like, you know... I don't even know if I want to say it. It was, like, very foul. Yeah. Um, my child had watched that part with us, and it escalated so quickly. I tried to cover her eyes, and I'm just like, oh, my God, it happened so fast. Like, it came out of nowhere. Yeah, and, I mean, and that was a scene that I don't think they necessarily had to have in there. Yeah. But, yeah, she does uh, stab herself in her hoo-hoo and... Uh, mm-hmm. And saying some, you know, some other things while she's doing it. If you know, you know, you know. <laughs> and if you don't, when you watch the movie, you'll know <laughs> what we're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, so they tie her down because they're like, okay, this is insane. Um, and Pazuzu singles out Father Karras, like I said, tormenting him, you know, making it him just lose it bringing up his mother, saying all these other things. So Father Marin's like, okay, you got to get out of here. You're breaking down. You're being too emotional. So Father Marin decides to keep going with the exorcism alone, but he ends up dying from exhaustion, which is really sad. And so then Father Karras comes back in. He's trying to revive Father Marin, but it's too late. He's, He's already gone. And the demon begins to, like, berate him, like, laughing at his grief, his helplessness, just, like, totally 
emotionally and physically beating up on this man. So, of course, he's, like, livid. He jumps at Reagan and, like, is wrestling with her, obviously, the demon that's possessing her to the floor. And he's, like, challenging it to, like, take his body instead and leave Reagan alone. And uh, the demon, I guess, takes him up on the offer because it comes out of Reagan and it enters Father Karras' body. But before the demon can, you know, fully possess him and induce him to, like, the harm, he flings himself out, out of the window onto the streets below, um, killing himself so that, I mean, so that the demon can't hurt anybody else. And it just kind of diminishes as soon as his body dies. Um, but yeah, I mean, so he saved himself for, or he killed himself, excuse me, to save Reagan, basically. Yeah, sacrifice. Yeah, definitely. Um, and as this is happening, an old friend and colleague of Father Karras's, Father Dyer, um, he is witnessing this tragedy, and he administers the last rites to his dying friend, Father Karras. So that kind of crazy scene is happening. Um, and then it just changes to a lighter, it ends on a lighter note. Uh, the scene changes to focus again on Reagan. She's now freed of the demon Pazuzu's influence. Um, she has no memory of what happened. She like has no idea that any of that even happened to her. Um, and her and Chris, her mom, are leaving for Los Angeles. They're piecing out of there, which I do not blame them. Um, and she gives Father Dyer um, a kiss on the cheek before they leave. He kind of takes over their case with Lieutenant Kinderman, um, who's just investigating the deaths. But kind of, it just ends on like a, a positive note, I guess, aside from the people dying. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it was kind of a sweet little scene, um, just watching her react to normal, because she was so cute in that movie. Oh my gosh. You know, and the, you know, her kissing him goodbye, just kind of like, you know, thank you. you yeah. Know. But, uh, don't worry, because they meet again. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's when, uh, you know, The Exorcist Two, The Heretic, which is like the official sequel to the first Exorcist movie. Because there's so many Exorcist movies out there. Um, but yeah, this is the official sequel to the main one. Uh, it was released in 1977, and it takes place four years after the original. Uh, this movie was a critical failure at the time of its release. It was often called one of the worst films ever made, and let me tell you, we agreed with that statement. Just from the previews, but we pushed forward anyway. It's kind of like one of those movies that you just put on while you're doing something else. I mean, not really, because I would never just turn on The Exorcist while I'm, like, folding laundry. <laughs> no? <laughs> but, I mean, if you wanted to see the sequel, I would recommend, like, doing something else while you're doing it, because it was not good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just going through it... Um, the film, again, opens up in a different country. So it opens up with Philip Lamont. He is a priest. He's struggling with his faith. And he attempts to exercise a possessed South American girl who claims to heal the sick. Um, however, the exorcism goes wrong and a lit candle ends up setting fire to the girl's dress, killing her. And afterwards... Lamont is assigned by the Cardinal to investigate the death of Father Lancaster Marin. Um, he was the priest who had been killed four years earlier in the um, Pazuzu possession of Reagan McNeil, the one that we, you know, just talked about. Um, so, kind of, again, opening up in a different country, like, giving a backstory of what's going to happen in this movie. I kind of was, again, confused by this part, and it didn't make much sense to me until after I was, like, looking things up about it. It's not super easy to follow. 
Um, so then the movie flashes back to Linda Blair, who's returning as Reagan. She's now 16, and she's still recovering from her demonic possession four years earlier. Um, she may seem pretty normal now. She does. She, you know, seems like a normal 16-year-old girl. But she does continue to be monitored at a psychiatric institute by um, a woman named Dr. Jean Tuscan. And Reagan now lives in New York City. Uh, she's living with her guardian, Sharon Spencer, at the time of the movie, while her mother, I guess, is she's not away on work. They didn't really fully touch on that. I think they just didn't get the actress back, her mom. So they just kind of like brushed it off like, oh, she's working. Um, but yeah, Reagan still claims that she doesn't remember any of the events of her possession. Um, but Dr. Tuscan believes that her memories are just like repressed. Um, so she just continues to get monitored there. And Father Lamont visits the Institute uh, because he wants to talk to Reagan, you know, trying to solve Father Marin's death and get more information. But since Reagan doesn't remember any of these events, Dr. Tuscan, she attempts to hypnotize her by using something called a synchronizer. So a synchronizer supposedly is a biofeedback device. It's used by two people to synchronize their brainwaves. I don't know if this is a real thing. I'm assuming it is. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know if like, is this a thing that exists? Can people... Do people connect their brainwaves with, like, a synchronizer? I guess it could be. But the way they portrayed it in the movie, I don't think it happens that like that. That was exaggerated. I don't think it happens like that. Uh, yeah, because Dr. Tuscan connects Father Lamont and Reagan by the synchronizer. And, like, it shows... Um, it shows Father Lamont being taken back in the past by Pazuzu, okay, so the original demon, to observe Father Marin exercising a young boy named Kokumo in Africa. Um, and all still, while well, he's hooked up to this thing, he's learning that the boy Kokumo um, develops special powers to fight Pazuzu, who appears as a swarm of grass grasshoppers. Um, I, I know there's, there's just so much back and forth in this movie that half the time you're like, where, where are we? What is happening? I don't know, but I'm loving listening to Atlantis. <laughs> I'm, so like trying, I'm trying so hard to explain this. <laughs> so after they get like disconnected from the synchronizer thing, Father Lamont goes to Africa against his superior's wishes um, he goes to try and seek help from Kakumo, who is now an adult. So Kakumo, the guy who figured out how to defeat Pazuzu. <laughs> These names. I know, I'm sorry, I'm trying to say straight face, <laughs> but they're just... Everyone's scratching their head right now. Right. So, but you're so, getting it done, so... Yep. I'm just convincing, this is my way of convincing everyone not to watch this movie. <laughs> So Kokumo has become a scientist at this point. He's studying how to prevent locust swarms, which locusts are like grasshoppers. Um, so Father Lamont learns that Pazuzu attacks people who have psychic healing abilities. So it kind of makes sense why Pazuzu went after Reagan in the first place, because in this movie we see that she's able to telepathically reach inside the minds of others. We see this um, because she's like using this to help an autistic girl to speak this little girl has never spoken before and reagan's communicating with her inside of her mind and then it gets this girl to speak for the first time ever um so kind of just showing that reagan has healing powers so makes sense why pazuzu wanted to possess her i guess um so yeah she Nope. Father Marin, who belonged to a group of theologians, he believed that psychic powers were a spiritual gift which would one day be shared by all people. Um, people like Kokumo and Reagan, 
were kind of like forerunners of this new type of humanity. So in a vision, Father Marin asks Lamont, Father Lamont, to watch over Reagan. Um, so then Pazuzu kind of tempts Father Lamont by offering him unlimited power. He gets possessed by Pazuzu um, because he sees it um, appearing as like a doppelganger of Reagan, but it's actually a succubus. Um, and he's headed to the Georgetown house from the first movie. Like he's on a mission, he's possessed and he's headed that way. And Reagan is chasing after him. Um, they are followed by a taxi which has Dr. Tuscan and Sharon, who is her guardian, following her, because um, obviously they're concerned for her safety. And then the taxi crashes into the Georgetown house, and it kills the driver, but they both survive. Um, but then Sharon sets herself on fire. Please don't ask me why. I still don't understand to this day. <laughs> I'm thinking she must have been possessed some way somehow I think it kind of was trying to like connect to the first scene of the movie where that girl who was trying to be possessed or um, excuse me who was trying to be exercised got caught on fire by the candle so I think they were trying to like make a connection yeah can I just say too before you finish yeah I like in the movie how Reagan she calls from a payphone and she's just so nonchalant. Yeah, I stole the synchronizer. I'm sorry. But um, we got to save him. I got to go. Um, I'll talk to you later. I'm so sorry. Bye. Like, so chill. Yeah. She's like, like, yeah, he's possessed. And I'm just in a train station following him. But don't worry about me. Everything's going to be fine. I didn't mean to steal it. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, so weird. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> so yeah, Sharon sets, her, sets herself on fire. Um, and although Father Lamont is initially, you know, intrigued and brought in and possessed by the succubus, he is finally brought back by Reagan, and he attacks the doppelganger, which I'm assuming is just like the demon. Um, and as he's attacking it, a swarm of grasshoppers just start attacking the house, and the house is just starting to crumble around them. There's so much going on. Um, however, Father Lamont manages to kill the doppelganger by beating open its chest and pulling out its heart. So That'll do it. That will do it. Uh, so yeah, in the end, Reagan, she just banishes the grasshoppers, you know, aka Pazuzu. Um... She, she does this by, like, enacting the same type of ritual that Kakumo performed to get rid of locusts, or grasshoppers, in Africa. Um, so she succeeds, and outside the house, Sharon unfortunately dies from, you know, setting herself on fire. <laughs> and Dr. Tuscan tells Father Lamont to watch over Reagan um, and then the movie ends with Reagan and Father Lamont leaving while Dr. Tuscan just stays to answer the police questions. Which, by the way, how do you explain that situation to somebody? <laughs> Very carefully and hope that they don't think you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, unsuccessfully. So, you know, shocker, we don't recommend this movie. Um, if you're going <laughs> to watch any Exorcist movies... Maybe don't do this one. <laughs> or drink wine. Lots of wine. Lots of wine while you're watching it. To view it as, like, a comedy. But it was still interesting to see kind of how, like, they tried to progress the story of Reagan and, like, where she was at. But they totally could have stopped after the first one. Yeah. I mean, I totally liked the first one better, obviously. Yeah. Um, it's been a long time since I've seen a lot of them, so it was fun rewatching the first one. As a kid, it scared me, you know, mm -hmm. how could it not? But then you watch it as an adult, and you're like, this demon is just an asshole. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, but, like, you know, he's just like, what a wonderful day for an exorcism. <laughs> you know, the priest is like, well, do you want one? Yes, yes, let's do this. <laughs> like, taunting him, you know, and 
just calling them names and just, you know. Yeah, honestly, it's so funny because it's still a really great movie, the first exorcism. But yeah, the scare factor is just not there for me. Like, I don't get scared watching it as I did when I was, like, a child. Because compared to just, like, special effects and all things that they can do now, I think we're kind of, like, desensitized. Um, yeah, um, I scared my crap out of my daughter um, when she was younger by having her watch Cujo with me. Oh. Now, the child could watch Child's Play and Scream, but then I'm like, hey, watch Cujo, and she freaked out. <laughs> But then I show her, and that was many years ago. She's, you know, older now. So then we show her The Exorcist, and I'm preparing her for all things, you know. And then she's just like, okay. So, yeah, I think they're a little uh, desensitized. Yeah, for sure. The graphics are now much different than they were back then. You know, it was the 70s and 80s. We didn't have a whole ton to work with as they do movies now. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously it was the scariest movie ever made back then if people were puking and passing out in the theaters watching it. Oh, for sure. Um, It was voted one of the scariest movies ever made. Um, And then uh, there was also actually a TV series on it, but... I never seen that one. Now, I think Linda Blair, she returned only for the sequel. Like, she's not a part of any other ones or the TV series. That was on Fox in 2016. I'm not exactly sure how long it lasted. Again, I didn't watch it, so... Linda Blair probably, after the sequel, was like, okay, this is on its course for me. Yeah, and as I said earlier, she had a little bit of problems going on, so she might have been taking yeah. care of some other business. Personal, yeah. Um, but during the making of The Exorcist, um, the set actually caught on fire. Um, but that's not even the strange part of it. The whole set was burnt down except for Reagan's room. That is hor- That's just horrible. I hate that. <laughs> and after that happened they did call a real priest and ask them to come and bless the set and the crew members just to kind of ease everybody you know just in case there was something more to it mm-hmm. um, when the exorcist hit the theaters many of them like you said they handed out bar bags because um, people just kept getting sick in the auditoriums or theaters which <sighs> can't pay me enough to have that job to clean up oh my god some people who saw The Exorcist, they were so offended by this movie that Linda Blair had to get bodyguards. She was getting death threats and just horrible things were happening to her and around her that I guess it was just they were so offended and the sacrilegious of the movie and the scenes was so just too much for people. That's but, sad, though, because she was, like, a little girl when this was all happening. Who was she, just paid to do a role. She was just reading lines off a script. She didn't write the movie. Like, the fact that people were sending her threats just shows how horrible people can be. Yeah, people sometimes, they get so into this stuff, they can't separate fact and fiction. And exactly. And like, dude, like. Exactly. It, it's <sighs> wild. Um, so there was said to be that nine people died, um, from this movie. Now, they say it was linked. I don't know if it was linked or a coincidence, Mm -hmm. but the actors, Jack McGowan and Vaskaliki Malaris, Malaris, sorry, fact check them names, (laughs) but they both passed away after filming this movie. The weird part about it was their characters both died in the movie as well. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, And then Linda Blair's grandfather, Max von Sydow, his brother, he was a night watchman and special effects for the movie. He also passed away during the production of the movie. 
So, um, yeah, I definitely would have been watching my back. And... Yeah, because you got to wonder. I mean, obviously it could be a coincidence, but, like, nine people? Yeah, there is, um, and we'll get into that on, in the future going on, but the movie Poltergeist, mm-hmm. like, four or five of the people from those movies all passed away during those movies as well, including the lead little girl, the wow. girl that played her sister, the like, lead little girl did? Yeah, she died after making the second one. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. But we'll save all that stuff yeah, yeah. when we get into that. We don't want to do too many no. <laughs> Gotta get these people to come back. So, um, it was known to be based on a true story by William Peter Blatley. Um, he did do the book for it, but um, we're not really sure who it was based off of. I think it was just someone with a fake name. Yeah. Whether it was for just identity purposes or whatnot, they didn't use the name. Um, the spider walk scene. So the famous scene when she's doing that crazy walk, you know, the one my daughter does down the hallway. Oh, my God. She tries to scare me every time I come over by doing that. She nails <laughs> it also, though. <laughs> um, so that wasn't even in the movie for the original viewing. Um, the director... He did not like that you could see the wires, so he cut it. And then later, they found somebody that was more CGI proficient. So when you could no longer see the wires, they added the scene back into the movie. Oh. So um, you may have a copy with it or without it, but... Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Well, Linda Blair was only 14... While she did this movie, and she did an amazing job. Oh, my gosh. But she did have some help. Um, The voice of the demon was actually done by a radio and film actress, Mercedes McCambridge. And um, I know the scene um, that we made jokes about earlier, but the one with Reagan who masturbates with the Mm -hmm. cross... um, that was also a different actress because she was 14 years old. That would have been highly inappropriate. Yeah. Not only for her to do, but, I mean, for her to do around all those grown men and people watching her and not... That ha- there had to be, like, legal implications yeah, to that sure. also. Yeah. So, um, also, the room that Reagan was doing all her best scenes in, basically, when she's going through the exorcism, mm-hmm. um, it was so cold in that room. I'm talking the producers, anybody who's waiting for their scenes, anything that had anything to do with it had winter coats on, winter hats on, gloves, like everything. You could see the breath in that room when they were filming. And yet, Linda had nothing but a nightie on. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and um, she didn't complain about it. She did her scene. She did what she was told. She nailed it. And she took it like a champ. I would not have. Yeah, that's that's huge because there are so many adults that would be, like, complaining the entire time during that, including me. I'd be like, um, it's freezing. Yeah, I do not like to be cold at all. No. Um, So, yeah, they wanted to be able to see her breath um, while doing some of these scenes, so they had to make it almost like, walk-in freezer, Mm -hmm. ice cold. Um, And then, so, there's the scene, the iconic one, where she twists her head in the 360 degrees. Um, That's actually a dummy. That's not even her. Her real body. Spoiler alert, she did not twist her head all the way around. Wait a minute, you're telling me Linda Blair can't turn her head all the way around? No, no. Um, It didn't work out when she tried (laughs) Uh, so the way they had the light hit it on set it makes it look as real as possible Mm -hmm. which turned out pretty well oh yeah yep so it was just a dummy (laughs) um and then i thought this was kind of actually a funny story so for the vomit scene they have this tube that's attached to linda's chin and then it's supposed to shoot out thick green slime, or as a lot of people call it, the pea soup scene. <laughs> um, so it's like run, right underneath her chin, 
and uh, the cameramen would use pulleys and wires so they could get the perfect shot. Mm -hmm. Well, however, they only did one take because it was supposed to hit the priest in the chest, and because it shot him in the face, and his reaction was so raw and real and yeah. grossed out that they're like, that was just amazing. Like, they kept it in, like, because... I love that. He wasn't acting. That really like happened. His genuine reaction. Yeah. So, I'm sure they had quite a laugh. Well, maybe not him, but... <laughs> I'm sure after the fact. Um, and then... This stuff gets me all the time. So, one woman who went to see the screening of The Exorcist, um, she ended up passing out during the movie, and I don't know if she fell or what she exactly she did, but she went unconscious and she ended up breaking her jaw. Yikes. However, yeah, so she ends up suing Warner Brothers and claimed that a subliminal message caused her injury, and Warner Brothers... Warner Brothers is said to have settled, and they didn't say how much they paid her, but basically they paid her to shut up. I I just hate that. People just try to get free money wherever they can go. Like, yeah. it's a movie. Like, you, you go see it at your own risk. Like, nothing came out of the screen from the movie and caused you to break your jaw. Yeah, and there was, I mean, when you're getting a barf bag and there was warning signs, there's been disclaimers, mm -hmm. like, it's been talked about, like, this movie is pretty much dangerous to go and see. Yeah. And you go anyway, to me, that's, like, your own risk. But yeah. Whatever, I, again, like, the McDonald's lady with the coffee, don't get me started. That. I know, I've been told there is more to it than was said, but I'm still like, you gotta expect the coffee to be hot. But, we're not gonna get into that. <laughs> we can go on a whole rant about that. Yeah. Um, so, Reagan McNeil, um, again, played by Linda Blair, she had beat out 500 other actresses for that role. Her mother actually took her to the audition without even an appointment, and was just like, you need to see her. Mm -hmm. She can do this. So they said, okay. So they had her audition. They had her say all the obscene words and did the obscene scenes that she's allowed to do. And the director was like, nailed it. It's yours. Like, that's, that's it. Crazy. She walked in and just took it. Like It was meant to be. Yeah. 500 other people, though. I mean. You know she earned that. Because she played the hell out of that role and to beat out 500 other actresses without even having an appointment to go there. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. Um, and then I thought this was also a little fun that I thing that I researched was that Stanley Kubrick, Kubrick, sorry, is, um, one of the great directors of The Shining. He did Clockwork Orange, Space Audacity, 2001 um so when warner brothers called and said you know hey would you be willing to do this we really want you he responded back by saying i only develop my own stuff so which i mean i guess i get it like if you're that well you write your own stuff and you've always did it yeah and you know i guess i could see it i mean it all worked out for the best um I wonder if he regrets not taking it because of how huge it became. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe he's glad he didn't get all the backlash that the movie That's got. That's true, too. yeah. But I feel like every movie has some, some kind of mm -hmm. critics, but... I mean, he's he's set, though, with the movies that he has under his belt. It's not like he missed all of his gems, but... <sighs> yeah, so kind of just getting into like the background of exorcisms and like the history behind them so exorcism i didn't know this it is from the greek word binding by oath 
Um, so it's the religious or spiritual practice of evicting demons or other spiritual entities from like a person or an area that's believed to be possessed. So depending on the spiritual beliefs of whoever is performing the exorcism, um, this may be done by causing the entity to swear on oath, to performing some type of crazy ritual, or simply by just commanding it to depart in the name of whatever higher power that that exorcist um, believes in. So the practice is ancient and part of the belief system of so many cultures and religions. So, you know, it, it obviously varies between religions on how it's carried out. Um, yeah, requested and performed exorcisms began to decline in the United States by the 18th century, and they just rarely occurred until the later half of the 20th century. That's when the public saw a sharp rise in them, kind of due to the immediate the media attention that exorcisms were getting. I'm sure the movie played a part into that as well. There was a huge, it was 50% increase in the number of exorcisms that were performed between the early 60s and the mid-70s. Um, so specifically in Christianity, Exorcism is the practice of casting out or getting rid of demons. Um, in the Christian practice, the person performing the exorcism, who is known as the exorcist, is often a member of the Christian church um, or an individual who's thought to be, you know, graced with some sort of special powers or skills. Um, the exorcist may use prayers and religious materials such as like different set formulas, gestures, symbols, icons, or amulets, kind of stuff in that um, category. And the exorcist often will invoke God, um, Jesus, or just several different angels and archangels to intervene while performing the exorcism. And Protestant Christian exorcists most commonly believe the authority to them by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, so the Trinity is the sole source of their ability to cast out demons. So they kind of call upon those to use the power through them to get rid of the demon. And, you know, in general, people considered possessed obviously are not regarded as evil themselves um, and not responsible for their actions because the possession is, you know, unwilling manipulation by some type of demon that creates them to cause harm to themselves or to others. So practitioners regard exorcism as more of like a cure than a punishment. Um, the mainstream rituals usually take this into account. You know, they make sure there's no violence to the possessed. Um, so they tie them down if there's any potential for violence. They don't want anyone to get hurt. Um, that's why they usually have members of the church you know, specific individuals carry out these rituals because I don't think just anybody should be doing them because it can become very dangerous. Um, I mean, there are biblical verses like um, John thirteen twenty seven. It, it conveys that demonic possession can be voluntary. You know, like um, Judas, who willingly submitted to the devil, but you know, there's so many different variations that go into this. That was just kind of like a little brief touching up on it. Yeah, and, you know, there's also the belief that demons do exist mm -hmm. and that they can possess people. And then, of course, you know, the stuff of the fiction and the horror films. But it is also one of the most widely held religious beliefs in the world. Most religions claim that humans can be possessed by demonic spirits. The Bible, for example, it recounts six instances of Jesus casting out demons and offering exorcisms to, like, remedy this threat. Yeah, the idea that, like, invading spirits that are inherently evil is... It's largely Judeo-Christian concepts. Uh, many religi religions and belief systems, um, they accept possession by both beneficent and malevolent entities for short periods of time. You know, as, a, as uncommon, but it's not especially alarming. No, and spiritualism, it's a religion that flourished across America since like the 1800s. And it's still practiced in few places today. You know, it teaches Death is an illusion and that spirits can't possess humans. 
you know, in weeks after that the film came out in 1974, the Boston Catholic Center, it received daily requests for exorcism. Wow. Yeah, and it's just like, while most people enjoy the scary movie belief of it, the literal reality of the demons and the efficiency, I don't think that that's the word I'm thinking of. I know, I think that's right, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, So the exorcisms, they can have deadly consequences. So like in 2003, an autistic eight-year-old boy in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, he was killed during an exorcism by a church member who blamed this invading demon for his disability. And then in 2005, a young nun in Romania died at the hands of a priest during an exorcism after being bound to a cross, gagged, and left for days without food or water. Oh, my God. In effort to expel the demon. And then on Christmas Day in 2010, in London, England, a 14-year-old boy named Christy Bamu, he was beaten, drowned to death by relatives, trying to exorcise the evil spirit out of the boy. So this is not a, you know, do-it-at-home hack. Mm-mm. Like... Come on, people. Like That stuff's too crazy to mess with. I mean, even if... I mean, I think... I don't know. I would probably say majority of the exorcisms that have been performed might not actually have been due to spiritual things. But people take it too far. People starve. People try to beat it out of someone. Like, you, you can't mess around with it. Like, you have to have... You have to go through the process, like, how it's supposed to be done with the right individuals who know what they're doing and who can observe and actually confirm that there needs to be an exorcism. Like, yeah, like you said, it's not a, it's not a, a hack for just anyone to be doing. <laughs> yeah, this is on a Pinterest find. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's also a true story, um, Emily Rose which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with. Mm-hmm. There's a movie, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. It was based on Anna Elizabeth or Annalise uh, Michael. I'm not sure. Michael or Michelle. I'm not sure. Michael, something like that. Um, but so she was diagnosed with epilepsy, mm-hmm. which is a temporal lobe disorder. And she went through a history of psychiatric help and got treatment for it. Um, it was overall, it was not effective. It did not help her. When she was 16, she experienced a seizure while she was in her dorm room at school. And it, I think that's what caused the beginning of the epilepsy, the beginning of... All her traumatic, crazy stuff. Yeah, I'm... Oops, my bad. Judging by the, the movie, it seems to be more the beginning of her problems of possession, I believe. So she was born um, September 21st, 1952. Um, She was a German woman who went under 67 Catholic exorcism rites. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, During the year before she died on July 1st of 1976, she had malnutrition. She just gave up eating. She gave up fighting. She was just. She was over it. I think her body was just. Oh my just god. Done. After 67 exorcisms. Oh my god, I would have been done by five. Just take me up yeah. and Yeah. Um, that is <laughs> so sad. Yeah, so, you know, after going to the doctors and stuff, and they saw the history of the psychiatric treatment she was getting and that it wasn't being effective. I think that's when they were kind of like, yeah, there might be something else going here. Yeah. Most of the doctors were like, no. Um, We have diagnosed her with depression, which obviously she's depressed. Um, But by the time she was 20, she'd become so intolerant of the religious Objects that had began to hear her voices and the condition worsened despite the medication. She even became suicidal, which 
again after that many That's episodes. So I mean, you can't help but oh yeah, kind of get it a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um. So she was on medication for five years, which again it failed to improve any of her symptoms. Um. Her and her family had become convinced that she was possessed by a demon. So they appealed to the Catholic Church for an exorcism. They were rejected at first, but after hesitation, two priests did get permission from the local bishop by 75, and they began conducting the exorcism session, and the parents stopped consulting with doctors after that point. Soon, Annalise stopped eating her food. She was dehydrated. You know, like I said, 67 sessions and um she was just she was over it at that point i think she was just letting her body go Mm -hmm. until her time had came um her the two roman catholic priests were found guilty of neglect homicide along with her parents and they were all sentenced six months in jail um which ended up getting reduced to three years probation as well as some fines that they had to pay but wow. there have been several films based off of Annalise. Um, in the 2005 movie, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And then there was another award-winning film in 2006 called We Come? We Come? We Come? Yeah, I'm not sure on, on the pronunciation of that. Yeah, so sorry about screwing that up. But it seems like it's, again, another exorcism type movie mm-hmm. and then uh 2011 Annalise the exorcist tapes so I'm wondering that one might be more on her however yeah. I did like Emily Rose but it seemed like it was more courtroom than I expected it to be and less on like the actual yeah her going through it they show clips of her going through it but it was like one of those back and forth Type movies where it flips courtroom to her, courtroom to her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there were definitely way more courtroom and legal scenes um, than the actual possession scenes. The scenes that they did have, I will say, were really freaky. They were, I mean, in comparison to the original Exorcist movie, the possession scenes and the exorcism scenes were in my opinion, way scarier. But it was only like a fraction of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like her body would get stuck in a certain way. Her fingers would And you would hear like... her like body cracking. Yeah, that's kind of... Yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> but uh, if you like what you've heard today, we definitely have more tales to tell. Um, so many. Yes, we will be getting into some true crime ones, some more horror ones. If there's something that you want to hear or something we should look into, email us at horrorwineandcrime.com. Check us out on our Facebook, Instagram. Um, Please don't forget to donate to the wine fund. Um, Not only does it help us try new wines to share with you, but it also... Helps us. We are doing a horror box, kind of like, you know, the bark box for your dog. <laughs> but this one will have different stuff in it. And we're going to pick random winners from whoever donates. We'll get your name. And it can be t-shirts, candles, um, whatever little fun things that we find mm-hmm. along the way. And we'll build a little box and then mail them out. So we want to try to keep it fun. Um, we're trying to join the community of the true crime out there but with a twist of fun horror movies as well yes keeping it all diverse um you know trying to not tell all the same stories as kind of everyone's doing right now so yeah if you have any suggestions reach out to us like glory said through like lo said through any of our social medias and yeah our gmail our website however you want to get in touch if you have a personal story if you just have a story that you've heard before we definitely want to hear and also let us know what you thought of this podcast the exorcist if you know any other fun or cool facts anything that you learned from us definitely want to 
keep on going with the conversation. Yes, like I said, we're trying to build a community, not a competition. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we, like we said last week, you know, we have our crime junkies in Indiana. We have them in our boys in Ohio. You know, we want to be the Michigander gals. So we're just trying to to enjoy it with everybody else. Yeah. um, Tell our thoughts and our ideas and, you know, me and KK, we drink our wine and we talk about the stuff so much just between us two and we watch all these movies and listen to all these podcasts and documentaries and so when we're talking about it, we're like, man, let's just talk about it with everybody. Yeah. But yes, horrorwineandcrime.com, also on Facebook. Um, you will also see our merchant page on Facebook right now. And um, we want to, you know, thank Rock Dyes. She has been working with us to get us these awesome tie-dye bags that we can They're great. put our logo on and get out there for you guys. So you can always check them out. They have their own Facebook page. Um, my husband has been doing some awesome editing for us. So thank you, Patrick Miller, for that. He's our tech hero. <laughs> He's on standby. Always. <laughs> so, okay. Well, until next time, hopefully you guys will be back. And like I said, be patient with us. We are trying to get better as we go. And uh, let's keep going as a family. Yes. Stay creepy. Bye. <laughs>